Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. When voters and politicians discuss tax policy, they often focus on the rates we have to pay and the revenue government will raise. But what about the other economic effects of the tax code? Taxes can affect saving and investment, economic growth, and more. In this episode of Political Economy, I'm joined by Kyle Pomerlau, who is a senior fellow here at the American Enterprise Institute, where he studies federal tax policy. Kyle, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Over the past five years, we've had a couple of big changes in the tax code. One set of changes came through the Trump tax cuts of 2017, and then the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, also some tax changes. I'll let you define better any way you want. Do we have a better tax code today now than we did before those two big changes? So I, th- I think the answer is yes. I think that if you look back about 10 years ago, there were some pretty, pretty significant issues with the tax code. The corporate tax was 35%, around 40% adding in state and local taxes. Individual income tax rates were higher. The base of the tax code was a little, little narrower than it is today. Um, and then they, uh, lawmakers made some important improvements in 2017 as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, lowered the corporate tax rate, broadened the tax base by limiting certain itemized deductions like the state and local tax deduction. Uh, uh, now, there have been more recent changes, um, and those recent changes were in the Inflation Reduction Act, and I think those, in my opinion, move in the wrong direction. I think some of those taxes are a little too narrow. I think they're focused more on addressing political talking points really rather than addressing real you know, fundamental flaws with the tax system, such as the stock buyback tax or the book minimum tax. Um, but even after that, I, those changes are not massive changes. They weren't significant. Um, so I still think we're, we're better off than where we were um, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, the book minimum tax is probably the one that got the most uh um, press. What is that? <laughs> the, the, yeah, th- this is a tax that was originally proposed by President Biden during the campaign back in 2019. And the whole purpose of the tax is to address these headlines of corporations like Amazon reporting large profits to their shareholders, but then at the same time reporting paying very low effective tax rates to the federal government. And, and this tax, the way it works is supposed to address that, that under this proposal, large corporations with a billion dollars in net income on average over three years need to pay the greater of their ordinary corporate tax liability or 15% of their adjusted book income. The book income is the income that they report on their financial statements. The adjusted part is some changes that lawmakers put that in to make the book um, minimum tax reflect economic income a little bit better and to r- remove some changes that they felt would harm investment incentives a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's supposed to, it's supposed to, and now I don't think it will, it's supposed to keep it so companies are paying at least 15% um, uh, on average. 
just focusing on the corporate tax code, what is it encouraging companies to do on a whole? And what does it sort of discourage companies from doing? I guess that I would like a tax code that would encourage companies to invest or at least remove obstacles to, to them investing. Is that what it does? My The way I view it is that the tax code, it should raise revenue with the least number of distortions. And if I were to rank all the taxes from the best tax that raises a bunch of revenue with nearly no distortions all the way down to a tax that is terribly distortionary and barely raises revenue, I think the corporate tax is closer to the bottom of the list rather than that top. It's, it's a less efficient tax. Um, it discourages investment, so it makes it more costly for companies to invest. Um, it... Uh, it discourages companies from incorporating. So there are different types of businesses in the United States. Um, some businesses are called pass-through entities, and others are traditional C-corporations. And because the C-corporation is taxed a little bit more heavily than these pass-through businesses, it discourages companies from shifting to being a publicly traded company that it might be more efficient in economic terms. It also, a traditional issue with the corporate tax is that it encourages debt finance over equity finance because if I'm a company that wants to invest in a new project, I have a choice. I can, I can either borrow money from a bank to invest or I can um, go out to shareholders and ask for, uh, I can ask for money from them. There's a tax differential in that the cost of debt financing is deducted. I can deduct interest, but I can't deduct the cost of equity finance so it encourages me to use one form of one form over the other so you know adding this all up i think that you know, the corporate tax there there's lots of distortions there now there are ways that the corporate tax can be fixed uh, to address some of these distortions and some of them were passed as part of the tax cuts and jobs act one expensing of capital investments if you allow companies to fully deduct the cost of new investments that eliminates the tax wedge on new investment under the corporate tax. Mm-hmm. And two, you can limit the deductibility of interest. So you can make debt finance be treated more like equity finance in that companies become then indifferent with respect to um, uh, with respect to tax. Why, why is that? Other than the fact that we like the idea of neutrality, is there a reason we would prefer less debt financing? I, I, I usually um, bring up two, two reasons. So one is that um, debt financing, because of the way the tax code is structured, creates kind of a hole in the tax base. Now, in theory, there's nothing wrong with deductions for interest expense. I'm a borrower. I deduct interest. That interest gets paid to a lender. The lender includes that in income. That's taxed. On net, no change in revenue to the federal government. All is great. That's not what happens in practice. Instead, what happens many times is companies will deduct the cost of, uh, of interest. That interest is paid to a nonprofit or it's paid to an entity overseas. And that just ends up being a net loss to the federal government. A second issue is more of a macroeconomic concern in that there's a, there's a difference between equity and debt financing in that when companies use debt financing, the, the risk is borne more by the company rather than by the, the owner or the person that owns the asset. So if I buy a stock and the company doesn't do well, I, I lose out because the value of my stock goes down or I don't get as many dividend payouts or, or what have you. Debt, on the other hand, is a fixed payment, and that companies have to pay that to their lenders regardless of the performance of the firm. So if there is, say, 
a macroeconomic downturn or a recession, there's a higher chance of bankruptcy for a firm if they have a lot of debt. And on a macro scale, if we have, say, a tax code that encourages more borrowing, on net, you could have higher bankruptcy risk across the economy, and that could create a little bit more economic instability um, than in the alternative universe where a tax code isn't encouraging borrowing. Why doesn't Amazon pay more corporate income taxes? Complicated question, and I try not to talk too much about any individual company, but... But it's in, often put as opposed as sort of yes. the, the, the example of companies that don't... To someone said they, they don't pay enough or they pay too little. That is, it, is, it is the most common example. Yeah, it, I, I think, um, yeah, it's fair to bring up individual company names because they're cited all the time. But I think very, very generally talking about the tax code and why a large company may not pay tax in a given year, there are a couple reasons. So one is that they're a growing company and they're investing a lot. Um, now, why does this reduce tax liabilities? Well, under current law, companies get bonus depreciation, um, which allows them to fully deduct the cost of a new investment against their taxable income. So very large purchases of of machinery or, say, tech centers, uh, the equipment that goes into tech centers, that reduces taxable income and reduces tax liability. That shows up as a temporary difference on a, t- on a financial statement for an Amazon, for example, and that shows a low effective tax rate. Another reason that a company may have a low effective tax rate in a given year is that in previous years, they may have lost a lot of money and that now they're carrying forward those losses. And that's a normal uh, a normal thing in the tax code. We have uh, net op- what are called net operating losses. That once a company has negative income, instead of getting a rebate immediately from the government, they instead have to carry forward these losses and deduct them against future income. That's to ensure that companies are taxed on their economic income over their life rather than bouncing all over the place. If we didn't have net operating losses, companies in some years could be facing astronomically high effective tax rates um, because of the just the cyclical nature of profit and loss. I always hear that we want a tax code that encourages work, savings, and investment. Is that the kind of tax code we have for individuals now? Under current law, I, I would say the tax code discourages those things, and I think that's just the nature of having an, of having an income tax. Right. The I emphasis think, there is on the word income tax, not tax necessarily, but y- income yes. tax. Some taxes, so it, it depends on the tax. Some taxes discourage certain behavior. Other taxes discourage other other behavior. Some taxes may be neutral. Um, it just depends. But the current income tax certainly discourages work, saving, and investment. Um, and for an individual, uh, tax code reduces the incentive to work because it reduces after-tax earnings. I earn an extra dollar. I know that the federal government is going to take you know, X percent off of that additional dollar, and that discourages me from earning that additional dollar. Um, so I, I, th- I think that it's fair to say that it, it on net discourages. Um, now, there are ways that we can address that um, and reduce the impact. The clearest way is to reduce statutory tax rates. Um, now, in a reform, you'd want to do that while also broadening the tax base so that you can still raise revenue. Um, so that's something that reformers um, need to keep in mind, um, although that's ends up being very 
politically challenging because the way you'd have to broaden the base, you'd have to get at a lot of deductions that are very popular, like the home mortgage interest deduction or exclusions for, say, the employer-sponsored health right. insurance. Um, but you know, we, 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 could make it be- we could make it better. So when people hear what you do, that, you, that you're economist and taxes are your specialty, do they think about, about the tax code to the extent they do differently. The example I think that pops into mind is that, you know, we're talking about, you know, incentives and what is encouraged, discouraged. But sometimes when I hear people talk about taxes or even policymakers, it seems like the only thing they think it affects is how much revenue you, you, you can raise. So those sorts of incentive effects and behavioral effects seem to be some, some people don't pay attention to them. I'm wondering if that's, if that's the impression you get. So, certainly. So if people, people hear about what I do, I mean, the, the first round of questions usually is, is what, huh? Or or they ask, you know, what they should do um, with respect to taxes, which I think relates to this idea of like taxes are just really about how much revenue the government raises and it has no other effect. Individuals want to know how can I minimize my tax liability? Um, and uh, that's fine. Um, but I, I think that is right um, that lawmakers to um, to a degree and especially in recent debates it's it's very much focused on how much revenue we can raise and who, who ends up bearing the burden which I think is a totally legitimate thing to debate um, I I think the the debate over the say the pro- progressivity of the tax system is one that is going to go on forever. That's never going to be settled. Every individual probably has a different preference for how progressive the tax system should be. Um, so well, that, that, that's, uh, that's been um, very central, but I, I think you're right that you know, the other thing that I, that I seem to care about, people, um, people don't care about it as much as just the, the incentive effects that when you levy a tax, you change people's behaviors, and changing people's behaviors can not only have an impact on revenue, but also on people's well-being. All right. So, what's the current top tax rate? For, for personal tax rate, what's the current top personal tax rate? Current current top individual income tax rate is thirty-seven percent. Um, now that's only temporary; that will expire along with most of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act individual provisions, and go back up to. Um, 39.6% um, plus about 1.1% due to the P's limitation on itemized deductions. If so I take a little that, bit more than 40%. If I were to take that 37% and I were to decrease it by five percentage points to 32%, what would be the macroeconomic impact of that? Would America grow faster? Would it grow slower? Uh, would productivity go up or down? Would, would there be a noticeable impact? So t- Other than to govern maybe government revenues. Yeah, so certainly the initial effect here will be that people are paying less tax. The federal government ends up losing. Taxpayers end up winning. Um, now, but the incentive, there will also be incentive effects. So the 37% top statutory tax rate, that applies to taxpayers that earn a whole host of different types of income. Mm-hmm. So wage earners, um, to the extent they're impacted, they're going to f- have higher after-tax earnings. So their incentive is to work a mm-hmm. little bit more. Business owners, they face the top individual income tax rate if they are in a pass-through form like an S corporation or a partnership. That is going to impact their investment decisions. So you may see a slightly larger capital stock and higher 
productivity because of the lower lower tax rate. And then you also have behavioral effects that are a little outside of the ma- um, the, ma- the scope of the macro economy. People may have a larger incentive to report more income because the returns to tax avoidance go down slightly. Um, now, now I don't get thirty-seven cents if I hide a dollar from the IRS. I only get um, thir- thirty-two cents. Yes, right? yes. That's my example. Yeah. Uh, is any of is are any of those impacts that you just described controversial? If I had, uh, could I bring in? Uh, other brilliant economists would say, no, that's not what would happen. Something else would happen. Or is that fairly well standard uh, economic analysis of the tax code? Everything can be controversial. <laughs> and uh, for, for right. example, right. It, I've, I stated that the lower tax rate could encourage additional investment. But what if the government decides not to offset that tax cut and has to borrow more money? Sure. Well, if it borrows that more money. happens mo- from time to time. From time to time. Right. Government uh, debt increases. Well, who has to purchase that debt but savers in the, in, in the United States? And if there's more saving going towards purchasing government debt, there's less savings going towards financing investment in the United States. So maybe you could say that the effect on the capital stock and productivity is more ambiguous because – if the government doesn't offset the tax cut, you may not really get the economic effect you you were originally hoping for. Many of these sort of economic tax reforms that are supposed to promote economic growth involve encouraging more savings. But it seems like there's a lot of savings vehicles. So don't we already have a tax code that kind of uh, rewards – It's isn't already kind of, I guess, what you call a consumption tax in many, in many ways, even though – Fish gets an income tax, but with all these savings vehicles, isn't it somewhat already transformed into a consumption tax? Yeah. yeah what, one of the big differences between an income tax and a consumption tax is the treatment of saving. So under an income tax, you are taxing the returns to saving while you're also taxing wages. Under a consumption tax, you're only taxing wages. You're not taxing the return, the, the ordinary returns to saving. Current tax code definitely is a hybrid between the two. And the reason for this is because over the years, lawmakers have poked holes in the income tax part of it by introducing a lot of tax preferred savings vehicles, whether those are traditional IRAs, 401ks, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks. These are all vehicles that are uh, that have that treat savings the way a consumption tax is treated. Um, So baseline, uh, the tax code is not purely an income tax and isn't as discouraging saving as much as what, uh, as a pure income tax would. Now, what that also means is that tax cuts for savings, say capital gains tax cuts or dividends tax cuts, aren't going to have a big effect right. because not all the saving in the United States is being Im- impacted by those tax rates. A lot of the taxes just aren't facing tax regardless of what the capital gains or dividends tax rate is. About when is the when is when is the VAT moment going to happen? Yeah, so so right now I think there may be six people in Washington talking about the value added tax right, right. And, and when it will happen. Um, now the value added tax is a broad based consumption tax um, and it looks more like a sales tax. In a video game they would call that like what the final villain or the final yeah. bad guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually that's what we all end up is fighting. Yeah. It's the value added yes. tax. And the, the tax, unlike a retail sales tax, which is collected once at the very end at the retailer, 
value-added taxes collected along the uh, production process. The United States is nearly the only country on earth that doesn't have a value-added tax and the only developed country that doesn't have a value-added tax. And the question is, how long can the United States hold out? And I think the answer really depends on how long the federal government can continue um, spending as much as it is without raising other taxes. Um, and I think that that at some point in the future, um, lawmakers are going to have to address spending, but they're also going to have to address the level of taxes. And I don't think politically that you can just cut spending in order to match up with the amount of revenue that we're currently raising. So there's going to have to be some sort of compromise in between. And what makes part of that compromise may be an additional revenue source, like the value-added tax. and But probably still also an income tax, right? I Yes, certainly. So we're, we're talking about a very large gap between um, spending and revenue, a deficit that is right. you're counting in, tr- in the trillions, right? A right. trillion dollars. That's a lot. Um, and we can get a lot from broadening the income tax, but I think there are political limitations to that. You really have to start going after things that people really like. Right. So an additional source of revenue may be on the table. And speaking of those political limitations, it's, it's people will say, fine, you know, maybe that makes the most sense and I can see why that would work, but, you know, people never go for it. You know, what would cause Washington maybe voters to change their minds. And the only thing I can really come up with is, I think what you maybe alluded to, a constraint on our borrowing capacity that markets say enough is enough. And we are forced to act because of what is happening in markets. So it's either going to be some sort of limitation that the markets place on the United States' borrowing capacity, but it also could be uh, things built into, into the law that are going to happen down the road with trust funds that finance very important entitlement programs like Medicare and Social Security, that at some point the, there may be a possibility where lawmakers are staring at a reduction in entitlements or an alternative revenue source. And a, the alternative revenue source looks um, a, a whole lot better when that's your, your alternative is reduced entitlement. Again, is this a, is this a distant future thing? Or is this something that you can see like, this is going to be a debate we're going to have within a decade? Yeah, I, I think it's something that we may be debating within a decade. Um, some of these trust funds, um, I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but some of these trust funds, their um, insolvency dates are, are coming up quite soon. Because I, you know, because I will write about taxes and because of where I work, you know, people like yourself study taxes. I will occasionally get emails from people offering me their tax plans. Um, uh, oftentimes, a lot of times, uh, it'll be flat tax. Sometimes people mention a VAT. Um, another one that gets mentioned a lot, also on Twitter a lot, is something called a, a land value tax, a Henry George tax. Are you familiar with this? And is this something that a, a tax economists like yourself talk about when you go to your when you go to your high end conferences? It's a, a land value tax. Um, I think is is thought of in, in the context of a replacement for the property tax. So under uh, in certainly when I get emails, it's called, it's it's the silver bullet. Why aren't you Why aren't you talking about this? Because I have because they have discovered on Wikipedia that there's a miracle tax out there that solves all problems. Now, the benefits of a land tax over say a property tax or maybe yeah. the, an income tax is that uh, we 
roughly have a fixed amount of land and that taxing land is not going to change the amount of land. So what happens, because there's no, there's roughly no avoidance around, around the tax is that the tax is just built into the price of land and that you're not encouraging or discouraging any, any um, activity. You're not you know, reducing the amount of land, thus reducing the productive capacity of the United States. So, it's, so in that sense, it's, it's an efficient tax, um, certainly more efficient than a property tax, which applies to both the land and the improvements on top of the land. And property tax, of course, because it taxes those improvements, raises the cost of investing in a new structure that could be helpful for workers and improve um, improve output in the United States. And uh, sounds like a good tax. Do you think it's a, that's a good tax? And uh, why aren't you writing about that as the as the silver bullet single decision replacement tax for our current tax code? So certainly, theoretically, efficient tax. I'm trying to direct your now, scholarship. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I Certainly an efficient tax, um, but you know, like all taxes, there are limitations to it. And administratively, there are challenges such as how do you value the unimproved or how do, how do you figure out the value, the unimproved value of land? That's a challenge. Um, another one is political. Um, a lot of localities use the property tax right now. Let's say we replace the property tax with the land tax. Well, what you're doing is you're narrowing the tax base quite dramatically because, of course, the land by itself is a narrower base than the land plus the improvement. So the rates at which land would have to be taxed would be much higher. Now the tax is more efficient, but are you going to be able to convince localities that they have to raise their tax rates quite significantly? Well, that might be a challenge. Have you read the famous Henry George book about his tax? Have you read that book? I have not read that that, <laughs> that particular book. <laughs> if we're going to assume that that is not the next big tax reform, have we already discussed it? Is it is it the VAT? Is it something else? Like what are the, like the really it's kind of the bleeding edge topics in tax reform? Because uh, I imagine you know no tax code is static. There will be more ideas. So what's like the next thing people are talking about? Either on either Republicans, Democrats. Or. Yeah, so I think any fundamental reform is going to want to move to be a more efficient tax. and But at the same time, I think it has to operate within political feasibility. It has to be feasible. And this is why I'm, I'm in particular attracted to consumption-based taxes because that is a reform that lawmakers can do in a way that the tax system looks roughly similar to the way it looks now. So uh, that's not a bug. I mean, if you have a, you have a tax code is covers all manner of economic activity. People have made many decisions about their lives based on the current tax code. So telling people I have a great tax idea. First, first step one, we wiped the slate clean. That seems to be not the way uh, to get uh, a, 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 a big, good reform done. Right. And like the nice thing about the consumption, a consumption tax based reform is you could do this almost in roughly three, three steps on the individual side. We're just going to make 401ks unlimited and apply to all saving. And then at the business side, we're going to allow businesses to expense their investments and then eliminate the deduction for net interest expense. And there you, you've pretty much moved 95% 95% of the way to a consumption-based tax. I have vowed to myself that whenever I do 
a podcast about taxes, I will always conclude with the exact same question. This is the question. So this is the question I'm going to give you. When are we going to have a carbon tax? I I do not know the answer to that. Um, so <laughs> is there even so, a glimmer? Can you see even a glimmer of possibility that that would happen? And if it is, it a good? I'm I'm not going to assume that you think it's a good thing. And is it would it be a good thing? So I I think a carbon tax would would be a good thing. I think it's a good market based approach to a real issue that is facing not only the United States but the entire globe. Um, and the benefits of a carbon tax are pretty obvious. It addresses global climate change, but it also raises additional revenue that can be used to either offset the carbon tax burden on households itself or to reform other parts of the tax code that are less efficient, like the corporate tax or the individual income tax. Now, whether it happens or not, that's another that's another story. We I don't think we got very close this time around as as lawmakers were debating addressing climate change, they went with another approach, which is a more um, subsidy approach. So they're still using the tax code in Mm -hmm. a way, um, but just in a less efficient manner. So they'll, so right now what we have is an income tax with holes poked in it for uh, green energy investment. Um, Now, theoretically that, somewhat like a carbon tax, but there are reasons why that is not not as good. Um, so perhaps sometime in the future, if this wasn't sufficient, um, lawmakers may debate uh, debate a carbon tax. But, you know, I think you know, the, the window of opportunity, at least in the near term, has closed because lawmakers spent a lot of political capital this time around. Kyle, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.